Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Grid, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. Everybody, welcome to season one, episode five, the home opening series show that uh, we're now presenting to you. I am Gonzo, led to you with Jay, Justin Lee from Bad Guy Radio, and yeah. Ozzy, Ozzy Guillen Jr. Boys, both of you were at the game yesterday. I know it was um, a sad moment for Justin, and Ozzy really has a sad moment. Justin, Justin was is not sad, he was stuck in his face. He was not sad. He was mad. I don't think he was sad. It was, that place was packed, man. It's a lot of beers being sold. Yeah. Uh, I, the White Sox fans are like the new crappy version of the Raiders fans. Everybody like wears black now. Um, <laughs> that's what I, that's the, the feeling I got for. Um, I think people are having fun. You know what? If, if you're ever going to get give up four home runs and you're in the stadium, might as well do it on opening day. I don't think people are like, they're like, yeah, whatever. Like we lost. You know, we're gonna lose sixty anyways. If we lose on opening day, like I, I think people would have been more mad if it was like a Tuesday in like late April and it's like 35 degrees weather and it's like raining. I, I really felt that the vibe was pretty good into the state. Even though it took people forever to get in, uh, which I, I saw people were a little bit upset about that. But tailgating looked awesome. People were excited. They were pumped. And I don't think the 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 feel wasn't that much of like a Kool-Aid feel as I had gone in previous uh opening days like people are like being a little bit more realistic uh you know on the season and like what they're judging and kind of like not just thinking they're going to be great because there's great players on paper potential wise so that's kind of cool and again i'm always there i, I always love opening days yeah, yeah. And one thing's for sure i thought for sure kopech was going to go into that game and have himself an outing that is, that is that is furthest from the truth. Um, and uh, again, you you two were there at the game, so let's start that off at the topic of this sh- opening topic of this show. Let's talk about Michael Kopech. We know his last start of spring training versus the Cubs didn't go as we really wanted it to go for his last start of spring training, and that kind of carried over to the opening game here of the series at home. Um, now, when I go back and look at highlights again, I didn't watch the game; I wasn't there either. But it, it didn't seem like his stuff was that bad. Um, the stuff was crisp, uh, to be honest with yeah. you, Gonzo. Uh, we were talking about it before the show. Like, from I had a good vantage point. I was sitting like probably about fifty feet to Benintendi's left and center. I mean, and left. So uh, 
I had a good look right into the catcher's mitt, and none of his breaking balls were rolling. Like I told you, he only threw probably two bad breaking balls, and that was the double to Yastrzemski and the home run to Tyro Estrada. The fastball was crisp. He was sitting up at 90, 95. It had nice late movement. I think the Giants knew what was coming. Because if you look at the hacks, these this is not a power-laden team. Now, like the Jock Petersons and the Confortos, yeah, they've hit you know, over 20 home runs before. But let's just be fucking honest here. I'm not pitching around anybody in a Giants uniform. They took some healthy hacks. So it looked, it, it, to me, I'm just going to take the easy way out and say that probably tipping some pitches there. Yeah. Junior, what did you think about, you think Kopech was tipping his pitches? What did you really see when you were there? Because I think Jay was on some alcohol, so he probably get, didn't get the clearest no, shot. You know, I usually like watching more Are on you? TV. Because I usually can get out right. He he saw. He, you know what? He's a one hundred percent right. So the first thing when he came out, uh, you see guys usually batting. Out, out, my seats were actually right by the bullpen, and his bullpen looked, you know, like a. It wasn't nothing like on the bullpen session that you're like, oh, it doesn't look like Kopak, like normal bullpen session for him. Uh, great first inning. Um, I think that the way again, this is coming from experience of just being around the game, bad boying, and just watching baseball enough. When, when a guy, you know, two walks and the guy goes deep, it happens. You know, you left something hanging. Could have been a bad pitch you left in the zone. Um, that happens. But when, like, you get teed off four times in one inning, uh, that, you know, I don't think trash can. That's not where I'm going, but I'm thinking they, they know what's coming, okay? Yeah. Um, and, and the game is a little different. Had this been like 1989, 88, I could see Kopech drilling after drilling the, the third guy after the second guy went deep, you know, brush somebody off the plate. But that's not the game that you play now uh, at all. But that's that's something that would have happened because I thought, and this this is where I don't put it so much on Kopech. This is at the moments where I'm like, okay, what's Ethan Katz and his and his assistant doing? I hope that they're that someone's catching it, okay? Because there's 700 video cameras on there. And they're saying, hey, fix it either after the game or like even in the game, like if you catch anything off with your pitcher, you have to go. That's why you have like mound visits. And like and I felt like that didn't really happen. Uh, and I guess it was just a horrible. And it was just a really bad combination, to be honest, of like the, the Sox bullpen had been kind of taxed the previous games. And Michael had to kind of like wear it. Um, and it was just a really bad inning. So I, I know. Griffaldi wanted to leave him out there just to out and dry, but at that moment you need you need to know you just got to suck it up and just be able to battle through. But that was my point. I, I, they were looking very comfortable at the plate. There weren't. It wasn't like a cheap home run uh, that you usually see. Like an yeah, opera. no, they took they took some hacks. They were, they were taking. They were they were they were hitting some BP. It was like the a BP. Was square. Like people are like, oh my god, some like you you see me hitting in batting practice. You're like Ozzy Junior is a top prospect. No shit, the ball, you know where it's coming. I'm being serious, dude. Batting practice is the worst. Like, if you're good, you're good you, can, you, can, you, can, you can lie like yourself, like that you're a good baseball player in batting practice. Like, you know that it's coming, and that's how these guys look like when they were hitting. Because it's a comfort thing. They look like every single hack they were taking. And this other part, not just the guys that hit the home runs. Go look back at the tape. Even the guys that got themselves out, it's like a comfortable out. Like, they were swinging like, you got me out because I, you know, it wasn't my day, but they were very comfortable at the plate. 
And I'm going to be honest, I don't care if you, I'm not talking about success. And this is something that Gonzo always talks about. One thing's success on the field and one thing's being nasty. Michael Kopech is not a guy that you, that you're comfortable at the plate. He's not Lance Lynn. He's not Mark Burley. You're not, you're, Michael Kopech, you're not comfortable. He's a little erratic. Sometimes he misses a zone. You don't want to get hit with 94, 95 plus, maybe a little harder. So the way that these guys were that comfortable on the plate tells me that they might've, he might've been tipping his pitches or something was happening that would give them an advantage. Yeah. And there's one thing, uh, Justin on Twitter, and this question I want to give to you is, you know, how did you feel Grafal handled him later on in his outing with Kopech, not knowing, you know, what bullpen arms he really had available after the Houston series with what seems like we're starting to be babysitting again, the bullpen, but um, how did you feel? Do you feel like he went the amount, the length of time that you felt like was right, or was he a better two away? He could have gone deeper, pulled earlier. What were you thinking? Uh, well, to be honest with you, I, I think it was a collision course for disaster from the jump. You you put Michael Kopech in a situation to where it's a fast break offense, and he's it, the mistakes are piling up. Okay. You, there's no way to break the Giants' momentum. You don't. You don't want to waste your mound visits on a on a situation like that. It's not like he wasn't throwing strikes. It was. It wasn't like he didn't have his good stuff. His changeup was devastating, and he only threw like two or three of them. So he had a, a four pitch mix working within the first inning and a third. So if you're gonna tell me Michael Kopech with four working pitches is going to have to get babysat through an inning because he's throwing home runs. I can't tax my bullpen, especially when it's thin. It's the first game of the series. Like, I had, you, you know what, without further ado, let's let's get to the manager side of things because I'm about to start cooking, John. So, Griffo's Grounds, people. <laughs> have a problem making decisions I don't have a problem making a call on a you know on a on a pitcher I don't have a problem making a call on, on you know on whatever our team needs at this particular moment yeah like the bullpen is thin already we're missing Liam we're missing crochet People are knee-jerking, saying we need to go sign guys like Corey Canevel to a, a minor league deal. For what? You already, you have automatic – your bullpen gets automatically better in four and a half weeks. Think about that. Why would you do a knee-jerk reaction just because you've seen your fifth starter give up consecutive home runs when, in fact, the manager was handcuffed. He can't stop the momentum. You can't do the mound visits. He's hitting his spot. So it's like, what the fuck do you want me to do? I don't know. OJ, am I missing something here? What's no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, the panic button is, is a little live. Okay. You, you, you were expecting this type of outing from, from Clevenger. Um, I know half of the White Sox fans were hoping that it was Clevenger just so they could enjoy themselves a little bit more. Um, but again, you, you, when you have five starters, somebody's always going to be a little off. Okay, it's very hard to get all five guys clicking on all cylinders. If not, teams would win 140 games. Um, so to see Michael again, if it's not uh, a velocity thing and it's it's something that can be fixed um, again from a from a from a strategy standpoint, I, I don't see a concern from the guys in the bullpen like Ruiz. Um, you need to be careful of like when you make a move and send a guy down. Um, 
because hopefully when you send them down, you have to have a plan. Like when you send someone down, it's not because this guy sucks, send them down. It's like, no, this guy needs help. We want him in the future. Let's get him to AAA to kind of find himself, especially pitchers. And whoever comes up has to be in the situation, uh, has to in that situation. But one week in, if we had been like a month in, I can see the Ruiz move happening like ASAP. Uh, I saw people already talking about Grifoni, Savench, Elvis Andrews, release him and bring up uh, Sosa. And it's like, they could have just done that in the beginning of spring training and save money, but you guys were all mad and you wanted Elvis. You said to make TA the second baseman and move Elvis to short, but one bad week. It's just, so that part is just confusing. I think they're just pressing the panic button. I don't think Rafal was late. You know, I'm going to be honest with you, man. Pedro Rafal, I'm not comparing him to Tony because Tony, Tony LaRusa at that point had like 45 years of big league managing world series. I'm not judging him to Ozzy, maybe comparing him to Ozzy, Ozzy's first year. Uh, Renteria, I'm comparing him to his first year. If you ask me Renteria, his first year versus his last year, he got worse as a manager, honestly. So I think Pedro, for him being there, a couple of challenge calls, a couple of things here that you could say, I oh, might have done different, but it's not growing pains, but he's not, I'm not judging him like he's been managing a bullpen, this bullpen, for that long. He made the moves, okay? The moves didn't pan out. If he, if Reese had, if, if Reese had done well, we would have been like Rafal's as a genius, okay? Reese just came from pitching really well in the WBC. He was the number one pitcher for them in the pen. Maybe he just gets scared of wearing the White Sox jersey and he's still with the Venezuelan jersey. But so when when people are like, oh, there you go. I'm just saying though, maybe he didn't know he was a high leverage guy. Again, he's trying to Rafal's in that situation. He's trying to find a pitcher. He's trying to make a pitcher. If if Reese does well, it fixes a lot of problems. Again, you wait for a crochet. So. Again, is is it is any manager going to manage perfect? No, but I think that he's done a, a great job. I think the only, the only thing that I don't put it on him, the, the challenging part, the challenge calls, whoever's telling him from the inside, go challenge. Some of these challenges have been awkward. Like, I, for me, you have to challenge something that's, like, really, like, a home run early in the game. But, like, save your challenge for, like, later because you might get a weird play. You might need it. That was the only thing. Um, his, I'm not a fan of Bennett, of, of, uh, of Benny hitting third. I just, I'm just not, I, when I'm looking at a lineup, I, anybody but him, except Sevy, I saw somebody use Zavala as a third hitter. I just don't see him as a, as a three hole, but they have a strategy. Um, it's working for Moncada. He's doing great. So I'm not complaining. That's the only thing, but again, he has a strategy why he's doing it, but that's the only thing that I can argue on that. And then on guys getting rest, man, he's treading waters. He doesn't want to go out there and tell guys, Hey, I'm going to play you to you, to you. You know, till you melt into you. They want up. everybody to be. Uh, what's my boy Jimmy Cordero, whose arm literally fell off. Yeah, he wants. Yeah, he wants. But he also wants to like not you know piss anybody off. So like the Von Ress, and he wants guys to say again. Those are things that little by little these guys are going to have to start changing their mentality themselves. It's a pride thing, man. I, I really believe that when you play 150 games in the big leagues, plus it's it's more of a mental thing. It's more of like you have. It's like when you work out, like you work out at four in the morning, five in the morning. You like working out, but no one likes to work out every day at four in the morning. Like you have to get up and you make yourself just because you're that committed. That's how I feel like it is in the big leagues. Like you could easily play a hundred games, 110 games, anything above that. It's like, you have to get yourself to be like, okay, I got played four in a row, five in a row. Like I don't need this rest. I really think that the guys that take it to the level is a mental thing and Pedro can show them how to get there. Uh, and I think if Pedro Grafal was a player, I think he'd try to play every single game uh, compared like with Ozzy, that was his mentality. I think that's something that they can teach you, but at the end, you have to want that. So that's where that difference is going to be. So 
I, I've liked the team, how they've looked. Uh, I liked his answer. I know, I know we're talking about the last game. I think his answer for the Joan Moncada situation, uh, I really liked it. Because uh, he basically said, do I know it's a dumb play? Absolutely. But I asked Moncada, what was he thinking? And he said, I thought I could have third. Okay. If Grandal tells you that, you're like, are you an idiot? Because your speed's not great. Yeah. Like after Moncada, where he uses his legs, he is feeling good. You know, you try to tell him, like, ah, maybe next time stay in second because of the situation on the outs. But you never want to take a player's aggressiveness away, especially if that's something that makes them better. So I think he handled the answer great in the media that he's actually talking to the players of what that thought process was. And if one, one of the things I critiqued in previous coaching staffs, and not just Tony, but Rick Renteria, was I believe when there's the people you're developing a team, it's not just about the wins and the losses. It's like when someone makes a mistake, is someone going up to that player and talking to him and saying, so I've seen it a couple of times. Colas had a horrible at bat. And after the at bat with the bases loaded, uh, Robert was talking to him. Okay. So that doesn't always have to be a coach. It's like, Hey man, what were you thinking? And it's like, sometimes you, as a player, you, you, you tell them what the mistake was because you're telling him, Oh, I was over aggressive or I was trying to go deep, you know? And you're like that. Yeah. You should probably not be thinking that. So I really like that you're hearing that the coaches are talking. Oh yeah. We talked to the third base coach. We talked to Moncada. What were you thinking? That's going to make them better players because next time Moncada goes up, he's probably going to look at the outs and say, okay, I'm leaning off the inning. If I better know for sure it's a stand-up triple, I'm not going to get myself thrown out. That's learning how to play. I think that's something that's been missing the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, so with, we just covered game five, the home opener, the lackluster game of it. We did a good job breaking that down. Um, let's go back to that Houston series, which is where Ozzy was just leaving off at. Um, let's talk about these four games. I got some notes here and let's start with the, the first game. Um, and again, you were just talking about yo-yo making that out after that double at third base, which after the game, which you alluded to junior that Grafal said that as long as his runners are making the most out of their opportunities, if they have a valid reason for their decisions, he is perfectly fine with those decisions that they're making in the moment. Um, and that next part of it, which again, I know like everyone was just slandering Mankata for that, but we got to see after the game him cover that. And I did feel good about him covering that in the media, which is what you just said, Junior. I agree with you on that. And um, the next part, which I know, Junior, you tweeted about it. I, I believe it was a tweet. Maybe it was in the group chat with us, but you were saying how in that seventh frame with Cease when he was dominating and he let up a base hit, and or was it two base hits? I, I can't remember how the two guys got on, but then, um, you know, he got pulled and he brings in Bummer. And you brought up like, why didn't you just leave? Let Cease deal with the opportunity there to get out of it on his own accord, than to bring in Bummer, who ends up throwing a wild pitch in the dirt, and then the Houston goes up one nothing in the game. Um, and then we also saw Lopez for the first time come in for the save opportunity and gives up a couple runs but they end up winning by three to two so and again like even though Lopez still has that stuff that we've seen from last year it's just it's different coming in as a closer with that mindset you have to have to close out these games and we'll see if that's something that he can grasp the opportunity here in the upcoming weeks before Liam comes back um, but guys what did you think about game one and then I'll, I'll lead us to the next game but what were your thoughts on that first game 
Dylan Cease was nasty. I think that mm-hmm. they let Dylan. I don't think any pitcher in Major League Baseball has worked the clock better than Dylan. I love the fact that they let him call his pitches. Uh, he was he was on point. His rhythm was great. Uh, really good stuff from him. On him getting pulled out, it's a it, it had not been Dylan. I think that I would have been one hundred percent okay. Again, I'm biased when it comes to Dylan, but it's again it's first first game of the year. You know he's giving you a lot, and you have a great bullpen. Like on paper, you got guys that that can get the the, the stuff out. And the whole bummer thing, it, he didn't get hit. He, he just threw a bad breaking ball pitch that couldn't be blocked, kind of like a wild pitch. So it wasn't more of like an, an effectiveness. But I, I'm going to be honest. Other than the people are thinking right now, the last game they're thinking about is the San Francisco BP day. Okay, we said it here on the show. People thought we were optimistic that they were going to split the series. They could have won the series, had a couple little things gone a little different for them, but they split a series against a very good Houston Astros team in their home opener. So that series, you know, they tell you, hey, you're going to split a series versus the Astros in in, in the offseason. You're like, I take it. So I like that fact that they were competing. It wasn't like they didn't compete in any of the games. They they they, they won and they fell back and then they came back and, and tied the series at least. And that's what you want on the road. So that's what I like. I like sees the way that he, he went about it uh game one he get kind of set the tone uh and he shut down a very good offense and i don't think that offense woke up till like halfway to games two because uh, they were really off off beat so um and again i think that probably one of the better series that we've seen the last couple of years on execution even though there was a couple of things like other runners on scoring position and we left this and we left that uh, man this is not a team that lost in the world series and you have little problems to fix there's a lot of problems little by little. So I think that there was more positive than negatives. And I want to piggyback off that with Cease. Now there's two. I I said in the beginning of 22 that Cease has that potential to become the ace within that year. And that was a huge thing for me to say at the time, but ended up being part of that. And now I'm at that stage where I think there's only two things that's keeping him from elite status. And that's one, his walks, and two, his pitch efficiency and the within his pitch counts, uh, which when you see in his first start of the season versus the best lineup in the American League, he didn't allow any walks in those six innings, and he struck out ten. So he's ten strikeouts to none, and with his pitch counts, he finished at eighty six pitches within. Uh, going into that seventh frame. So it's just crazy to believe at where he's at right now. If he can continue that through the stretch of the season, he's well on his way to where he wants to be in this league, especially in the American league where he was. Uh, I'll, give, up. I'll give you an example, man, like Marcus Stroman, you can see the number, the amount of money that he's, that he's getting paid and, you know, a lead pitcher uh, Barrios at one point, And you see like how far C's has come, like what he's doing he is doing one of the hardest things to do in baseball, especially today, because he's a perfectionist. You see C's and he'd get himself so deep in counts because he wanted to strike out with the perfect pitch. He's pitching a contact when he, I love when bat, when pitchers get ahead of batters, not only get ahead, but then they just go off and finish them. Okay. I love the fact that he didn't treat everybody like he was Jordan Alvarez. And that's sometimes what you have to do. And that's a level of confidence of when you look up and you look at the player, you're not getting intimidated, and he's doing that. I think from the two years ago, like when he got here, you saw the talent. You you had you know he has great stuff, but like that did does did he believe that he had that great stuff? I really think that he really believes 
that in any given day he can just dominate you. And that doesn't mean he's going to win every single game. But that level of confidence, I really like it uh, because that that's going to, with, with his God-given ability and that level of confidence, that just becomes a very dangerous pitcher. That's like a, a Mark Burley has like just nasty stuff because sometimes perfectly honest with you guys go ahead OJ but I'm gonna be honest with you I'm I'm just gonna say like like Lance Lynn for example like you see like he's just a competitor like his stuff's not like Cease's stuff is like up there uh and you and and people that follow analytics can you know that you can look at the 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 velocity and the change of speed so that with confidence that's how you get a top three side young again uh one pitch that stuck out to me when Dylan Cease took the mound was the glove side fastball low and away to right-handed batters, low and in to left-handed. That's a focus pitch. That's something that you got to be dialed in to hit that mark as a right-handed pitcher every time. And he fucking stroked it every time. And he was making the calls. So for you to call a low and away fastball when it's time to put somebody away and you drill it right there, that lets me know he's all in and focused. Gonzo, those no walk, no the walks wasn't by accident. He was dispatching hitters. He was getting rid of guys. Like you're, at, it was a lot of guys that were out when they were standing on deck against Dylan Cease. Like, thing, another thing I want to say in that interview that foul territory had with him and AJ, he made it really clear in that interview he is starting to fall in love with this fourth pitch his changeup which which he hasn't shown yet and he said he hasn't shown it yet because of how much feel he has for his second and third pitch with that slider knuckle curve and more specifically how we know that slider was the best pitch last year i mean it's no joke that 47 percent whiff rate on it. it speaks for itself with the run value he had on that too i think it was like 32 or something like yeah, that negative but, 32 now that knuckle curve in that first game, he had a 45.5% whiff rate on the knuckle curve. <laughs> so if he's going to continue with that with the slider, he can just dibble-dabble with that changeup when it comes time in the summer when he needs to start playing more with his pitches, getting deeper into the season. Now, I you know I think Dylan speaks for himself, and we're going to move on here because we, we will come back to Dylan as he has a preview coming up this week. But uh, games or game two, three, four, I'm going to – quickly go through this with you guys game two I think what stuck um I think early on in the series you saw Luis Robert just cha- chasing everything and then he let out turning that around in the back half of that series into the home opener but um I think the ball plan obviously let one get away in that second game um between Graveman and Diekman and I think Diekman's just Diekman's gonna have to turn himself around too because I mean he only his days a, are fucking numbered let's just pretty numbered pretty numbered with crochet and uh Liam coming back hopefully sooner than later here. Um, and game three, I think what really stuck out to me was that moment and another bullpen game that got away. But more particularly, I, I'll blame t- game two on the players and that bullpen. But for me, game three, I got put a little blame here on Pedro because I really felt that Kelly was in in the zone cooking with his stuff. And he had – he only got hit hard, or not even hit hard, but it was an O2 poke by, you know, our old trusty Pito that hit one in the hole. But, like, other than that, like, Kelly was moving and grooving, and you, you bring a reason for him to let that game get away. And I know that, you know, we might say we might be babysitting, but I feel like we should allow Kelly to at least go one more batter into that outing. Um, and then game four, we had 
I think in the game one, we had two opportunities with bases loaded, loaded early on and Dylan couldn't get anything out of that for, to get a lead for him. But in game four, again, we had bases loaded twice and then end up pulling the lead later in the game. Um, but what do you guys think about those three games in particular? Anything jump out at you in those games? Uh, well, I just want to touch on Luis Robert because me personally, I have to punch. I got to pump the fucking brakes on Luis Robert because I've, I'm already uh, I've tweeted earlier, like we need to get Luis out of here, fire him into the sun. He's a very erratic and inconsistent player to where he could look terrible one day and he could just flip the script the next. Um, even with his offensive inconsistencies in Houston, the glove was still platinum. The best routes to a baseball in the majors was put on display in left center field gap and right center field gap. So the fact that even though he had a hole in his back this series uh, at some points, the glove never wavered. And that's a good sign for a young player because usually they take their uh, they take their offensive struggles into the field with them. And Luis Robert has not been doing that. So I, that's what stuck out to me um, on that front. What about you, OJ? I mean, you know what? I think that from a standpoint, I think he's been playing great defense. Even when Colas was not getting those hits, um, he was he was making the plays uh, with his glove. So, it, again, split series. I think that with the Kelly move, you could go back and say, well, Grafal, you know, could have gone, could have stayed with, with Joe. I think that's the part where the first, I want to say, two months, he's going to either succeed or be held accountable for not executing on those, on those situations of maybe in a week, he's like, you know what? I'm sticking with Joe. Uh, I like, I would have stuck with Joe Kelly because I'm a believer that when Joe Kelly is on and healthy, you got to ride him because he is going to get himself. Pause. I, I, I'm just being honest. I, I just think you do because I think he's going to get hurt. They're like, Oh, we're saving him at 19 pitches. You can do all the saving of his arm. You can do everything you can at his age his track record, he is going to go down at some point. So you ride him as much as you can. So then when you, and let him rest. Oh my God. Yeah, I I really do. I think that you just go out there and you use him as much as possible until, you know, he breaks down and comes back. That's just the nature of it. So again, uh, had had he stayed in and and he allows his own runs to to come in, it's a little different story. Uh, And he's going to have to see, you know, who from the pen, no one talks about this enough, man. It's not the same coming in with a clean inning than coming in with runners in scoring position. So he's going to realize right. who in the bullpen is that guy that can come in with, with a clean inning and who, who's the guy that can come in with the runners in scoring position and hold them. Uh, that's something that they need to explore and find out uh, find out very quickly um, because, again, it's going to make the team better because you're not going to have a, a shutdown game from the starters. But I liked what I saw the first game. Two games of running on the bases was great. I mean, from a stolen base standpoint, I haven't seen the White Sox run as much in a long time. Uh, guys are using their legs. I, I keep saying this. Tim Anderson can steal 30 bags in the Bay Leagues. And the guy that was behind the plate for the Astros, if you can steal off Maldonado, you, you're stealing out of the, the top 2% of the league. There's maybe one guy better than him. If that, I, I, very hard. So if they're, if they're running on him, they're, they're uh, and the Astros from an analytical perspective, they're very good at reading jumps, help Maldonado really well. So that was a really big plus uh, that I think that, they're putting some pressure on the base pads, getting them going. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just want to touch back on the bullpen for a second because if you look at it, let's just take a look at what transpired. I mean, you were Graveman at one point couldn't throw a fucking strike. You had to rely on Aaron Bummer and Joe Kelly. Both are uh, breaking ball pitchers, and let's just be honest, wild pitch prone. 
So like when you have a situation to where his base is loaded and you got Diekman against Jordan Alvarez, what do you want your manager to do? Like Jordan Alvarez hits lefties and righties. Wouldn't you? I would rather go to a lefty to face Jordan than just have any other righty. And I understand Diekman is bottom of the barrel, but at the same time, you got to give yourself a chance. And I don't think we had any other option. I've seen a lot of people questioning the move on social media. I even got into a conversation with King Mac about it. Like, what do you want him to do? Like, you can only you can only play with the cards you're dealt. Like, for Christ's sake, you can't go to Aaron Bummer back to back because he just came off the lat injury. You'll be right back to square one April third or uh, April second. What what are we doing here? So I I think a, a couple of the challenges have irked me before we leave Pedro. But at the at the end of the day, you can't really question anything because he's only playing with the cards that are dealt. And I understand, OJ, we don't want Ben and Tenny batting third, but he's he's shouldering spring training. That's going to be the plan. Two right-handed hitters, and I'm going to squeeze the lefty in there. So, uh, you know, and then ugh, we want to talk about walks right now, but let's just get into some Stone Pony tweets because this is about to cook. <laughs> So we had the resident beef loaf going at it with my boy Eric Wilson over uh, the White Sox not walking enough. Um, if you don't know, beef loaf, the king of the 108. And we got my boy Eric Wilson, the E in race juke joint, super analytics. He actually ruined the game of baseball for me. So um, anyway. Who's who analytical guy? Eric Wilson? Eric Wilson, yeah. So uh, in this exchange, we got Eric saying, you know, you shouldn't look for walks to gauge the offensive, you know, uh, progression of the team because there are a lot of guys who uh, got high contact rate swinging the bat. They're better swinging the bat than when not. And then Beef Loaf just going back with him saying that's just a product of a good process. Uh, how do you guys feel on building your offense around people that walk a lot? So, and Eric Wilson's the analytical guy? Yeah. You know what? He, he's one of the guys by that comment, don't know anything about him. Uh, I like the fact that he has his own picture on the on the avatar uh, and has his own name, doesn't have a weird random name. Uh, but I think that he's right, okay? And this is why I mean that he's right. You Walks are a product of when you cannot get a pitch that you hit, you work the count and, and getting a walk is a win. But what you don't do is going up there thinking, I am going to go walk. That's not a good approach. You can't, it's very hard to walk four guys to get a run in. You got to swing the bat. Uh, so I think that better at bats, that will get you more walks. Like, for example, don't swing at a 3-0 pitch. That's just, you know, only a few guys. You're not Barry Bonds. Um, Frank Thomas, those guys get to swing 3-0. Uh, meaning you, you, a guy had a couple walks right before you and you came up to hit and now you're swinging at the first pitch. There's things that you can do in the game to kind of like keep yourself out of that. 
but again, battling a, 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 an at bat where you get a walk over a, a strikeout or an out, that's great. But he's right. You cannot base a success of an offense saying, well, we walked 300 more times than we did the year before. Uh, that's probably going to get you more runs, but does it really make your team better? And the fact that he's analytical and he gets that, that's huge because there's people on Twitter that love analytics that they praise a walk. Like, oh my, like I love Jasmine walking. I really do. I'd rather get him get a double or a home run because I know that it's going to take two hits to score him. Uh, so a walk is like, eh, I like it. But again, I wish that you were, you got a single and you were trying to go put that ball in that patio sign. Cause that's, you know, that's what he's really good at. So I, I really agree with, with Wilson. And even though, again, they're both making great points. Uh, one guy's excited because the walks are higher. I think last year, the White Sox, one of the great disasters was that offensively they could not, they could not hit and then they couldn't get on base. And this, this year they can, they're doing it so far at a better rate. Hmm. Yeah, how do you feel about it, Gonzo? Well, I'm just happy that eventually we're going to have Eric on with us um, and we'll have a little clash. I don't want him on the show. (laughs) We'll have a little clash with Eric on our analytics side of it. Wait, wait, do numbers make your head hurt? Yeah, the fucking numbers make my head hurt. You know what, though? He looks like a guy that's giving you a point and he's not arguing. That's why I said, oh, he's a numbers guy. Okay, I'll give you this much. I consider Gonzo, I think Gonzo's numbers inclined i you can love the i love the numbers but you just cannot be blinded by the numbers i'll give you a reason why why ozzy and nick swisher did not hit it off right off the bat okay ozzy loved the fact that nick swisher got on base and people get this wrong but when nick swisher would come up to hit with bases loaded ozzy did not want him to see and take a close ball four okay like he was like we're good i'm the manager they don't like me they hate the team like you're going to get called out like a game of inches. And I know that your eyes are great. Do that without runners in scoring position. I want you to hit that ball in the gap and get two RBI. So there's a, a time and a place for the walk and guys that are usually very, very analytically inclined. They believe that a walk is better than anything. Like they're obsessed with it. They don't believe in bunting whatsoever. They don't believe in stolen bases and they just go complete. Like anything that gives you, a lesser chance of like winning a game or like something bad happening, they don't measure risk and reward. So that's when the, those guys that you can't even argue with them, that they're like, Oh, it's like, wait a minute. Like if I got, if I got in the book, if I got Eloy Jimenez, okay. And, and he's facing class A. Okay. And Eloy Jimenez is like, Oh, for 21 off of class A, but we got Romy Gonzalez on the bench and Romy's five for five with five RBIs. Do you think I'm going to pinch hit Romy Gonzalez for Eloy Jimenez? No. That's what an analytical person would tell you to do. But if you're, you're a moron for doing that. And that's when the analytics completely takes over your brain. And you really have to see the situations because the game is not played by, by boxers. That's why I like the fact that if he is an analytical guy, he's being open to saying, hey, walks are great. But, you know, you still have to be effective. Gonzo says it. Yeah, was his stuff great? Great. But you still have to get out. He said it. Steve was an amazing. He had great stuff. But the reason he wasn't elite was because he was walking too many guys versus a strikeout. So those are the conversations that you want to have with someone that likes the numbers. There's nothing worse than liking someone that likes the numbers or someone that's completely old school that they don't look at the other positive of whatsoever. That's the ones that are the worst yeah. on either side. Well, let me let me show you something. Gonzo, you were a part of talking to somebody on the Internet that are one of the worst. So, uh, Gonzo was pumping up my boy Dylan Cease after fucking – 
mowing the Astros down like a, a crappy lawn. This guy is saying, don't count your chickens before they hatch in regards to Dylan Cease, Cy Young. He finished second last year, Gonzo. What the fuck is dude talking about? Yeah, go ahead and put that second part of it up there, too. Yeah. That, this what, is did a, he say? what did he say? This is like the king. This is like <laughs> making me look like the most positive human being ever. Why is this guy even watching games? Yeah, I mean, this guy, like, he, he was just wanting to say everything's dominant based off of not giving up any runs. But he was just losing, like, using the, the shout-out term so loosely because there was no shout-out in the, you know, opening day with all pitchers around baseball. No one went nine innings for a shutout. Like, and like, I think even in this thread, he gave me a whole like list of like, you know, even relief pitchers that didn't give up anything at all and saying, oh, you know, Cease wasn't dominant because he didn't give, you know, he gave up one run that was based off of that bummer, a wild pitch. And the bummer wild pitch is the reason Dylan Cease wasn't dominating. He was including Stroman and with saying that he was just as dominant in his outing, which. I think in that national broadcast, they highlighted the three pitchers of the evening was Cease, Cole, and uh, Otani. And Cease was the only one of those three that didn't even give up a walk. And and then he brings up Luis Castillo uh, with the Marners' performance. Uh, I think it was against Cleveland, but um, like – I'm like, I don't know how you argue this at this point because it was just that terrible when, like, Cease clearly faced the best lineup in the AL and through six. He only gave up one run and struck out 10 on 86 pitches. Like, the guy was if just... If Cease had given up going. six, if, if Cease had given up six, like my boy Please like did yesterday, do you think this guy would have said, oh, it's okay, it's the first game of the season, you know... It sees everybody else is getting shelled. It's okay. Sees is going to be fine. Absolutely not. This is where fans, just like with sees, like with Moncada, they don't want to see because they hate a player so much. They don't want to see them succeed. With Clevenger, like he is doing well. Like someone got mad at me because I said two months ago, we thought that this guy would never pitch baseball ever again in his first outing. You think it's hard? Pitching in baseball is hard? Yes. Now think about. Pitching in baseball when you know half of the f- your own fans hate you, think you're a scumbag human being. Like that just puts that extra amount of pressure on you. The cease, the cease start. If cease pitches the way that he did, 75% of what he did, not even the whole hundred, 75%, he's in a conversation again. He just the, the reason that he is elite right now is because Strowman and all those guys, they weren't com- they're not coming off a season where they were number two in the side young. So Cease is actually starting a conversation of like he's trying to put himself in a list of the Max Scherzer, or the Verlanders of the world, that every single year they're on the list, the Garrett Coles, because they're in that status. So for a White Sox starter, okay, who we did not even know if he was going to be at this level because we thought Jolito would be better than him. We thought a lot of guys would be progressing faster than him. The fact that he's even putting these numbers up and he's competing right off the bat this season, you got to be happy for him. Like if you're a White Sox fan and you don't even get excited about Dylan C's, like, how miserable are you as a White Sox? Like, if you can't get excited about Dylan Cease, what are you getting excited about? Because that is one of, like, the only positives that it has come via trade, panning out, time, coming up. Like, everything that they promise, he's been a guy that's been able to deliver on every single aspect of that. Everything. I'm saying that if you can't say positive on Cease, like, my whole thing is, like, who are you staying positive on? And I feel so bad for you because – 
because I'm sure that guy doesn't even have a second team. That guy's just like that. He's just watching games being miserable, like legitimately. Well, here it's the perfect time to bring up a guy who has one fucking team. <laughs> And we are going to introduce our fan guests of this segment, our man, Brian Knights. He is on the red line, starting nine of Barstool and a paramedic during the day. He is also the former 2022 108 tourney champion. And he is drinking his Miller Lite right now as he gets into this segment with us. Brian, you're also a former leather leatherneck with me. So welcome to the show, man. I want you to um you know tell us your thoughts first off on the first five games and we'll go from there how you doing brian i'm wonderful how are you boys better than you brian Brian. i i i'm in my i'm i'm watching the game i i love brian uh i've actually was following him before i even knew anything about him because i i love his content but i'm like chilling and then i see that everyone's like freaking out i'm brian like what are you doing there? And he was like, it just enjoying himself at another baseball game. And it was getting a lot started. of people, a lot of people, people were mad people at me. Were losing, people were losing their shit. Like legitly, people were like, what is he doing? I'm like, if people knew like that other people have other teams and they root and they wear other gear, like they would, they would, I, I think I would get, I, I think I would get killed on the streets. The, if, the crazy if, thing is people were acting like I was in the bleachers actively rooting for the Cubs. Like you can go, you can go have a good time. Like you can just go. I went to the game. I wear I wore neutral stuff because I'm not an asshole. I don't wear a Chris Bryant jersey when it's White Sox Angels, and I had a good time. I drank beer. I made fun of my Cubs friend friends. I bet on the Brewers. It was awesome. Yeah, love it. At the end of at the end of the day, we're all baseball fans. I don't care if it's Fenway or if it's the Windy City Thunderbolts. If there's a game and there's beer to be drank, I'm there. I love it. As simple as that. And, you know, Brian, you I've seen a little uh, a back and forth between, a, a, I think it's a fucking bot or. This guy, he's, oh. he's, he's all up in my shit. He's so he mad I went to the Cubs Brian? game. He's made like four different accounts. He's an Ottawa Senators fan that lives in Wheaton. So let's <laughs> relax. Uh, he, he has that type of fandom and he's pulling receipts. Yeah, yeah, because I went and made a cup snake in the Wrigley Bleachers. Yeah, you know, Brian, I want to ask you, because we were supposed to be building a fucking statue and plastering it on top of the bean. Where is your mental health right now, knowing that we probably uh, are away from that stage of our White Sox fandom? I mean, the statue is always going to be on the bean. Like, he'll forever be my guy. Uh, It's unfortunate. I've moved on. I fully moved on. We'll see what happens. He could, I could tear him down. It's very possible I tear it down and replace it with Andrew Vaughn. We'll see what, we'll see what happens. But there's yeah. plenty of more Chicago landmarks to put people on. So he can, he can keep his bean. His family comments, they're probably true, but it's hurtful. So that makes me want to take it down. Wow. 
Yeah, I think I think Gonzo's still upset a little bit that we don't have a Brave in the lineup. Um, uh, he's actually against the Andrew Vaughn fucking Rakes Club. So I Fuck feel up. like I've been Gonzo trying is- to get I've been trying to get Gonzo to at least support Andrew Vaughn, and he's not doing it. He's refusing to doing it because he misses Jose Abreu. It's it's fully replaced. Like my build the statue, put it on top of the bean tweets outside of the post game videos were the most liked tweets I had. The Andrew on fucking Rakes Club tweets now do numbers. Yeah, well, so I mean, the people, I, are, the people are there for it's it. A great, it's a great, it's a great name uh, for for Andrew. You know what? I think that I, I think that it's fair for White Sox fans and and for guys like Brian. Again, when you're a fan and you double down on a player and you know we always joke around the bean stuff like guys like brian made abreu a bigger legend than he really was he brought zero world series rings to the city of chicago let's keep it fucking real okay so so he was a great player he's probably the only guy with those numbers and not that much success and like winning as a team to like be considered to getting his number retired he's loving the city had he gone and walked away and never said anything like he did while he was a player you don't there's nothing that you can talk about him in a negative way, but for him to go out, that's why I didn't like about the comments. Number one, you've been there in freaking Houston for like a, a week, bro. Like yeah. they just won the world series. Like, of course it's great. there. like, they just won a world series. Like they're, everyone loves each other, but like, you're talking about the clubhouse. You were part of the problem then. Like you, you were, you were in there and you could, you should have done something while you were in there. Don't wait till you get out. And I hate that because, Everyone thought that you're like a leader, which everyone that knows means that you're you're te- not a leader. I mean, you're more of a quiet guy, which is fine. But for him to say, oh, we weren't a family, we weren't this, and it's like, wait a minute. Were you lying half the time then when you were talking? Like, I can't take your word for it. I don't like that type of stuff. I rather would have him just let him walk away and go from there because and then the awkward part is, you know, all his teammates are around him in Houston. They're all hanging out and all doing that, which means they still like him. I was like, Abreu was really like, because if I'm on the team – Okay, and I'm one of the top guys, and you're like, we, we didn't really get along in here, and we didn't feel that from you. You never brought it up to us. I would have had some words with him. I would have said, you know, what's up? What's the problem? So that part, I think that fans can take him down from the from the statue. They can move on to Vaughn and kind of like wish more for the future. And you can wish that you you. I think that as a White Sox fan, you hope that a Bray, that Andrew Vaughn is a better player at the end of the day than a Brave, and that does not take away from the fact that you were an Abreu fan. Or that you praise everything that he did. What, don't you want the guy who replaces a great player to be better than the guy that was there before? That's what that, I think. That's like the yeah, whole, logically that makes a ton of that's sense. Like logically, like what you want to like the player to 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 be. Somebody wrote to Ozzy like, "Why are you being so nice to Grafal? Why are you talking to four in the field?" And we're like, I think people are like, he, he's the only guy that understands what Grafal is going to because not many people have that job. Number two. He works on TV, so he's like, it's easier for him when the team wins. He likes the White Sox, so it's like, why would I go against the guy who's never done anything to me? Like, and fans have that hard time. Of like, if you like Vaughn, you don't like Abreu. If you like Abreu, so I'm like, wait. So like, if you like Abreu, you don't like PK because he took PK's job. So like, are we gonna play this game? So that part, I'm, I'm. You, you could say anything you want from an Abreu standpoint because he opened up that gate for fans to be able to be mean to him because at, at that point. He had never said anything, so you could have not been me. Now it's an open game. By the way, Junior, it is the Andrew Vaughn fucking rakes club to you. All right. And he is better than Josh Bell, 
So I oh, did have. By the way, you know <laughs> that's a ricochet shot. By the way, do you know that Andrew? Hey, by the way, do you know that Josh? I did not know this about Josh Bell that he was a silver slugger. It, it was a while ago. Yeah, one of the most overrated. That, that had to have been when he was on the Pirates. Then he was like a silver slugger. I did not. I lost a bet, and because I, I think he's one of the most overrated like first basemen out there. Um, but I, I like the fact that to give Brian credit that that Andrew Vaughn Rakes Club was created way before, you know, any of these expectations or him. Yeah, that was like his, like, fifth home run. That's why I really like the name, and I don't have nothing against it, because it's, like, was created, like, way before he was, like, awesome. Like, if if Andrew Vaughn had 20 home runs and he fucking created the thing, it's like, dude, like, no shit, we get it. But, like, it was created from, like, day one that he got to the big leagues, so that's why I like it. And I don't – by the way, here's the thing. I said this. I don't think he's going to be a bad player. I just don't think that he's going to hit 30 home runs. Not, there's nothing wrong with that. I said he's John Olerud with the regular hat. And a little bit uglier because he is not very good looking. But and a foot shorter. He is, by the way. So a quick thing. I think Brian's going to enjoy the story. So Harold Baines. So the first time Harold Baines met Andrew Vaughn, I was standing right next to him. It was at White Sox Fest. And Andrew Vaughn looked like he was about to go interview for a freaking internship. He had khaki pants on and looked like he is literally had just gone out of college because he literally had and Classic he was Andrew it was it was, uh, it was my dad, it was Harold, myself, and I was like, "Hey, man, nice to meet you!" And like, "Nice to meet you, Andrew Vaughn." Obviously, I knew who he was, and he's like, "Oh, I'm like Amazi Junior," and Harold thought that I was meeting that he was one of the new interns that was like helping out in no. Sox. And I'm like, Harold, this is Andrew Vaughn. He goes, "Wait, you're the you're the first rounder." He goes, "Aren't you a first baseman? Aren't you a little short to plug first? And Andrew said, ah, that's what they always said. And he goes, you must be really good because you, you're you very small because he's not very he's not very tall. So, yeah, so the first time they both met him, they were like, wait, is this guy an intern? I'm like, no, dude, that's the first round pick. And they were like, what the? And he's the first baseman, so, but he's a great guy, and he's been proving it. So I I, I like the Andrew Vaughn. I just think 30 is going to be hard because I, I just think 30 is hard, period. But I think he's going he's gonna to put up solid numbers. He's going to be a first baseman on the Sox for a while. Yeah, he doesn't need to hit 30 if he keeps ripping doubles like he is. I mean, yeah. the, the club still applies, so it works. Yeah, it's a rate club. It's not the home run club. We just give yeah. Gonzo. Gonzo took every futures bet on Andrew Vaughn pretty much. His, his house is mortgaged. Um, yeah, so he doesn't, he doesn't enjoy wins. He, if Andrew Vaughn does not do well, he does not enjoy wins. You know what I like about, though, about the Andrew Vaughn? I'm going to – I'm gonna because uh, I know you're a big Lance Lynn guy too, and you hate Lance Lynn if he pitches against you. Um, he like he's like grabbing himself. <laughs> he's doing that's his style, which is great. Uh, but Andrew Vaughn, uh, not the crazy, not just the crazy eyes now, but his little shit talking to the Scafani. What I heard was that what he, was that about? He said yeah, was, something about like the three zero count. Like you're like a little. He called him something like like oh like you got no balls or something like throwing me like that. Like he didn't like the pitch. Like he was calling him out like on his manhood, and I, and I love that because again, it's a little bush league. It happens, you know, you're just a little pissed because you got you out. But I love it because you're frustrated and you're like, whatever, I'm just going to start stuff. A little, you know, not not something that you see a guy that's, you know, that young in the big leagues kind of just getting his job. And he was like, and he didn't do anything about it. He was very A.J. Brzezinski. Like the guy was talking, he was like, I don't care, dude. You're just basically fighting by yourself. I like that. On, I like that in, in players. I like that players can get under a team, like the skin of other players. I love that. And I think the White Sox need a little bit more of that. They need a little bit more. Yeah, I want Lance Lynn pitches like once a week. So it's very hard to like replicate that every night when he's on the mound. 
if they get guys on the field that replicate that like attitude, I'm a, I'm a fan of that. I want every single guy on this team talking shit no. every single game. Yeah, it, 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 it like we're we're coming off of eighty one and eighty one season. You gotta. It's not. A, it's one thing to set the tone. It's another thing to maintain that edge. That that is the type of stuff that can propel you through a hundred sixty two game season when you fall flat sometimes put the chip back on your shoulder. It's like the Michael Jordan thing. He used to antagonize people so he could have a target. You know, uh, I I mean, it's weird that Andrew Vaughn could chirp back at somebody after hitting the ball back to the pitcher on a 3-0, uh, on a 3-0 swing, but I do like it. You got to have some asshole to you. Maybe he doesn't like him. Maybe he doesn't like him. He was mad there. He just got freaking BP'd, or maybe Andrew Vaughn's like, you guys were tipping your pitches. Again, there's just things that can happen. The White Sox have had one problem, and because people thought that these guys had an attitude, they don't have an attitude. When 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 Renteria was here, bat flipping and dancing and saying "Hi, mom," that's just you're being a big dork. No one's scared of that. No one's like, "Oh man, we're gonna face this team." When you when you have, and I'm going back to Cleveland. When you play Cleveland, you're like two things are gonna happen. They might beat us up, and we might fight. And when you've seen Ozzy's teams. They were always they were always in situations. There's ways there's teams that have this attitude, and it's not like excitement. The this team needs more of like being kind of like a little more of an asshole type of feel. And this is something that you need players to see. Like, for example, last year, the whole Jackie and TA thing, the fact that it went beyond another inning, and the fact that TA had to tell Grandal what was happening, and then Grandal called out. Like that just that storyline just way too long. Like TA should have been comfortable enough to be like the first time he heard it, first punch flying out. And he's like, My team's got my back. Cause when you're on the field, it's like it's it's kind of ironic because I'll give you the AJ Brzezinski. Like, you know, in baseball, you know you can talk because you know your team's gonna back if you know your team's gonna back you up, you you just go with it. But if you don't think your team's gonna back you up, you're a little bit shy. So I this Andrew Vaughn is like more of like, okay he's definitely feels comfortable enough that if something does happen right now, they're ready to protect him and back him up. Vice versa. I think the team before, yes, they were cooler. They were nicer. They were funnier. They had more swagger. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're tough or that you're going, you know, and that's something that they need to make that line because dude, they don't play a lot of games. Okay. They've been, they've been blamed for being like lazy at times. You don't want to add to being soft. Like the other teams think that you're soft and a pushover. And that's not a very good combination, okay, for the White Sox fan base like Brian, the hardcores, where they love that type of player of like hard nose, you know, diet. Like like Lynn, I laughed. Lynn's like eighty three, and he's like ah, and he's like screaming. I'm like, you just that was this fastball. That's what yeah. me and just went up there. But he makes it seem, and you enjoy it. So I, I agree with that. Of I'm a big fan of the attitude. Now, Brian. We're going to go back here to the 108 tourney that just happened like within the past two weeks here. You're trying to run it back, back to back. And unfortunately, we saw in the early rounds some voting just spiked. And you threw out the term bot terrorism. So I think we need to reach out to our local senators of the state of Illinois. Are you kidding me? create a bill for this bot terrorism because it's just tearing apart our communities and the White Sox community. 
and you didn't really get that fair shot at the tournament. And uh, I feel for you. And I really want to let you speak upon it, but also talk to us a little bit about the, the uh, campaign side of it with within these tournaments with how you won it last year and how the fun of it. So go ahead, Brian. Uh, I mean, the 108 tourney, it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's the most fun I've probably had in Twitter the two years I've been at it. The year one ran the whole thing. Electric stuff. The most, the best championship match the tournament's ever seen. And then this year, got in the, the bracket with Summer of George. Every single human alive wanted the me Summer of George matchup. We got it. And unfortunately, it got ruined by bots. So, I don't know how the hell the year before we had a matchup of me and Alyssa with well over 7,000 votes and no bot 50, 50 all day long. But this tournament, it was just bots everywhere. It was just, I don't know who's buying them. I don't know what loser part of white sex Twitter is buying bots, but it's disgusting. I won't stand for it. I made the George W. Bush uh, video. It was hilarious. It was great. And the people didn't listen to me. I thought it would work. There was like three matches the day before that were riddled with bots. I was like, we got to go full George W. Bush on these people. It didn't work. They didn't listen to me. They didn't care. Every match got ruined. It it ended up being a three-way championship. It was a snooze fest all day because nobody's doing content. And it's it's a content battle. I don't know how you win it without making content, but that's what we saw this year. Yeah. And with the, with the one-away tourney, like you just said, it's a, it's, it's full of different content. You get to see people's personalities that they normally wouldn't show. Uh, the drinking is very excessive. Actually, I had a fucking hangover at 630 in the morning because I woke up and just seen people chugging four locos. I'm not going to do any, that. That's that. I'm not going to name anybody, but I'm just going to say screw the Vikings, too. Um, I'll get after it. I'll get after it. But when it comes yeah. like if it's a, if it's a chugging contest, I'm out. I suck no. at chugging. I've never been able to figure it out. I'm done. You're a professional, but you're a professional. So I'm going to yeah. I, I love. So I found out. So I, I found out about Brian because of content and I only give you a follow. OK, if you're my friend, so if you're my friend, your content might suck, but we're friends. But I might find you on Twitter and be like, I like this guy. Like with this shit that he's putting out there, it's either informative, it's funny, it's dumb, but I think I laugh at it and I follow it. Okay. The 108 tournament is like my time where I get to see who's behind the account. And I might follow you just because I think you're funny and you're just putting content. So I need content because if if, if the other it goes the opposite way. If I think that you were horrible and I'm like, I I literally found out about you. And then I look at your content. I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. This is the worst take ever. I will never follow you. I might mute you. Like, I might just block you just so I don't see your horrible takes. But that's what I think the tournament is all about. It's like getting to see who the content. And I hope, which I, that's what I love about Brian, consistency. Like, if you can turn on for the tournament and then, like, keep it going of, like, whatever your White Sox take is and be able to provide that information. Because I think that's the hardest thing on Twitter. Like, anyone can turn it on for for a month, three weeks, like you get, but like if you 162 games, that's, that's like, that's a lot of baseball. So that's why I like, you know, Brian stuff because he's consistent with it and it's always the same. It doesn't really change. So like when it gets into the tournament uh, again, it's fun because you get to discover new people, but some of the stuff I'm like, I, like, I was like, there's just like, you need a little bit of baseball acumen. Like some of the stuff that I was out there, I'm like, do these people even know 
who's on the team. Like, it's just like, <laughs> I'm being serious. Like some of the stuff I'm like, it was just funny. It was just like, they're like, oh, I'm just going to join this because I'm, I'm just going to root for the white side because my friends do it. And they're like, I don't know. And again, those are the, how you get these crazy polls of like someone saying like, Dylan, the C sucks. His first outing was horrible. He's not a Cy Young candidate. And you're like, at this point, I'm like, you know what? He's got to let it go because you can't really even have a strong baseball conversation with that point. Yeah, I think I, I think that's why my content plays and like why like I might not have the biggest following, but it's a it's a loyal bunch of humans yeah. because they know I'm showing up like since August of 2020. We haven't missed a post game. So it's the, the people like that I'm showing up and the, the numbers support it. And I did the first the first game this year and that video did absolute numbers. And there was like 40 replies of being like two TMFBBs back. Let's go. I, I give I give crap to a mutual friend of ours, uh, the leader of, of this nut job fan crew of White Sox Dave. Cause I'm like, I, it got out that I said that Brian knew more baseball than White Sox Dave. And he knew the That's White Sox better. And, and he knew and he knew the White Sox better than White Sox Dave. And he was not happy. That's aggressive. Like, Why by the way, being a, being crazy and doing all, you know, just having just being funny does not mean that you know the team. And I think that, but I think that you're able to do that because of consistency. Like when the game ends, we get to watch you on a consistent basis, you know, that you get to give your take, good or bad. So that's why, that's what I think that, for me, that's what Twitter's about. Because uh, I'll be honest, like sometimes if I'm not, you know, if I don't get to watch, it's 162 games, I don't watch every single game. And, you know, I got other teams to watch. I, I listen to Brian. I'm okay. I'm going to get the feeling of like how the games happen. That's why I enjoy it. I got to start doing that for the tribe, uh, Jay. Just become the Brian of Cleveland. I'll fucking quit right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll request a trade. Matter of fact, uh, I'll, do it as a, I'll do like a different character. I'll just do it as a different character. Come on. Every bro. fan base needs, every fan base needs a I me. I think it's a great, I think it's a great, I, like it's, it's, it's like a fast to the point, no BS, a hundred percent feelings with good baseball content. Like that's, that's why really that's why it works. It, it's it's yeah. short videos. It keeps the attention span, and it's yeah. Sometimes we're just going over a box score, but sometimes if like some cool stuff happens, we get more in depth with it, and there's jokes thrown in, and it's fast paced. It's electric. The people love it. And that's the and that's the that's the key, Brian. Is when you're doing your post game shows, it's a good smooth transition. It's not nobody just sitting there for fucking five and a half minutes complaining about the starting pitching when we lost the, when we got our ass creamed. You know what I'm saying? Brian, you tell us exactly how a fan should feel after either watching uh, a masterclass or a shit show. Yeah. Like the home open, the home opener you guys were talking about earlier. Like a lot of people were just having a good time because everyone was drunk. It didn't matter that they lost 12 to three. And that's what that post game really was. I was like, Hey, Kopech was throwing batting practice. Luis Robert went yard. We're at Cork. Come drink. Like that yeah. was the post game. And it's crazy obviously, because obviously he likes it because he's like, I wish that I could say that in my post game because that's how a lot of times you feel. And he's he said this like I could usually say how it really felt as a manager, and I wasn't gonna get crap for it. But now you know that's his job, and he's like, you can't really come out and be like, yeah, like it is what it is. You got your butt kicked because fans are gonna get mad. Like anytime that you that you're like, and, and for baseball is so hard because compared to football, you're going to lose 40 games. Okay. So like, like the, 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 
keeping people off the ledge of every the, this first week. This the take is other than the players playing well, the fans are so quick on the trigger. Like the first week was like, how are we judging Griffal on his bullpen management? I'm like, the guy's been it's his first series. Like, he, what do you want? Like, it's gonna happen. Even good managers mess up on the so like that. Like the panic button on we're gonna we're gonna get rid of Elvis Andrews in three weeks and Sosa's gonna be up here. I'm like, what? Are, like, I'm like, what are these people on? And that's the hard part because you're dealing with a wild fan base. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of idiots out there. That's for sure. Now, this is our show segment of Blackout Live, and in our our segment every week, we're going to have a topic for this uh, this segment, and I'm going to post it here in the chat so everyone can see it as long with, and with you guys as well. But our uh, topic this week is uh, runners in scoring position, and what is your thoughts on the lack of execution with runners in scoring position from the Sox? And evidently, I know earlier in Grafal's grounds, we were talking with uh, bases loaded multiple times throughout the uh, the Houston series. And I remember one in particular, I think it was bases loaded, one out, and you had Colas, Elvis, and then Tim. Colas, I think it was actually no outs, because Colas struck out on all cutters inside at the shin or below. And then Elvis, you know, end up working the count and chasing one. Didn't uh, didn't move any of the uh, runners over. And then with two outs, Tim went at the first pitch uh, and grounded out to second base to end the inning. Um, Junior, what 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 has your your thoughts been with the lack of these opportunities early on the season? Because it does remind us a lot of the twenty two uh, team that we just witnessed last year. So I looked up numbers from the 2005 White Sox. It's the greatest White Sox team that's played in the last 30 years. Uh, when you look at those guys' numbers, Creedy, uh, Rowan, a lot of guys, not a lot of guys on Nate PK or, or Jermaine. You look at their numbers, and they're very normal numbers. They're, their numbers are not like, oh, my God, this guy dropped 40 bombs. And But then, like, you look at the reason of why, and it's productive outs. It's – I think that's this has been an issue with the White Sox, even the year they won 93 games. They won 93 games because – they basically were that much more talented than everyone else. And a team sometimes can succeed that and get to the playoffs. But is it is it a team that wins the World Series? Sometimes it does not. Because you need to find the time when you're going to score those, those small runs. And I'm tired already of like someone's like, oh, was well, a new hitting coach talking about situational hitting. These guys have been talking situational hitting since they were 10. Okay? Situational hitting goes down to one thing. Are you willing to sacrifice your at-bat? To be able to, if you don't get a hit, your swing is built out to the fact that you're going to get yourself out. I'm driving this run in no matter what. When that's your mindset, that's when you are able to execute productive outs. Move the runner over. Runner on third base, you need to bring that runner in with less two outs. So the only guy out of this whole week that I did not get, that I did not crap on the first time that he did it was was Colas. Because he's the only guy that's like first time in the big leagues. You might get overexcited. You're like, you've been whooping on everybody in the minor leagues. You might have not worked the counter pitch that you're going to drive and you look like Ozoro with these sliders. He looked like he had no shot. Elvis Andrews, you should know better. Mokata, you should know better. Like when you look at some of these approaches, when they go up there, they literally are thinking, I'm going to hit a double. Instead of like looking at the scoreboard and saying, hmm, Caesar's pitching. It's a one, we can win one nothing. That's what that's the change that this team needs to make from talent to becoming a good team. When you're looking at the scoreboard and saying, 
Okay, Lance is on the mound. We need probably about four runs. Like, let's get to as, and then if you get to do it and they get to applaud it and fans and the team gets just as excited about a, about a run being driven in, in their culture, then they're going to start executing it. Like, that's something that they have to want to do. That's not the hitting coach. The hitting coach is not there like, yes, we missed another with a runner on third. He's preaching this. Guys do it in batting practice. It has to come down to them. And this week was horrible. And they could have, I literally think this, they won two games, okay, and split on pure talent. Had they done the little things like driving the runner from third, they win this series. I don't know if they'll sweep, but they, they win, win the series. At they win the series very, Absolutely. very easily. They win the series. And that's when you're looking at the Sox are at a point where they're above the 500 threshold. That's the difference between the teams that make it to the playoffs and go deep because you're able to produce and steal those 10 games because you have, you know, one or two runs. And, and that's when you look at Cleveland, that's my last point is when you look at Cleveland and you look at the Sox, Cleveland's numbers are not better than the Sox in a lot of categories. But when you look at like situational hitting, they don't miss, man. They like last year they caught the ball and they literally came in and like one run second, they move them over. That that run comes in. That's where the Sox need to be. And that's something that's a positive though, because usually the, the, the first issue on shady teams is that guys don't get on base. It's like you don't even get to hit with runner on third base. The fact that they did it like four times in like one game is like, okay, they're at least getting on base. They can definitely go in and fix that problem. But that's something Griffol needs to stay on top of these guys and, and hold them accountable for. Yeah, what you think, Brian? You think uh, we're still bitten by the Rutgerson scoring position bug of last year? I mean, it's clear that this team absolutely still stinks with bases loaded. But, I mean, Ozzy's right. It's comparing it to Cleveland. Cleveland is a team that can manufacture runs, and that's exactly why they won the Central last year. The White Sox can't do that, and they need to learn how to. They can get on base, but then everyone goes up to the plate. Like you said, Colas, I mean, it was clear he was antsy. He was swung at three straight slider cutters off the plate. But the guys that have been there, they need to – Get them on, get them over, get them in. That, that's what we have to do because we saw that last year and it didn't happen. Even if – because if we had bases loaded and no outs like we did in Houston and they go sack fly, strikeout, 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 we're probably still mad. We're like, you got to get more than one there. But that one is better than zero. So yeah. this team needs to manufacture runs, and I think we're going to see it. I think at some point this season uh, it'll get to the point where – they're going to start doing that. They'll get in that groove, especially with this, the stolen base rates we're seeing. We have guys like Tim Anderson. He can get to second base, no problem. We don't need to manufacture an out to make that happen. So if he can get to second by stealing a bag, it makes it a whole lot easier. So guys got to just go up there, stop trying to play hero ball, and just get guys in. Yeah. Uh, I just want to go That's back to – I have a question. So this is for the guys that love analytics. Gonzo, you, you can help me. Maybe you can freaking build it out or if we can find someone to. Oh, what's this? How there, no, I, I cannot. I don't know why there's no stat out there. And I'm talking about teams like productive outs. So like you got, let's say you gave, let's say 100 outs. But like out of those outs, like 35, 40 of them are like productive outs. Like you moved the runner over, you drove in a run. Like how much val- more valuable is a player that is giving you productive outs because again, you have all these outs, but there's gotta be like a certain outs that end up being valuable. Like I wish there was that stat where you're like, 
we are under the threshold of like valuable runs because I really think that those are like the the garbage runs are like the ones that will get you at the end and no they can give me every analytic they can be like the you know every number on a pitch every but no one has that number of like productive outs and I was just like I don't know if you guys have seen anything on it or if it's you know I have it, but I would love that. I mean, if, yeah, if somebody's right. willing to put in the effort, let's let's set a value on like an RBI ground out or a fielder's choice that scores a run, a sack fly, moving a runner from second to third on a ground ball at first base. If if they could put a number on that and make it, I don't know, like war style, but yeah. it's on, uh, bad I would love radio, to see that. On Bad Guy Radio, Kick Mac created some crazy fucking metric where we were counting like sacrifice flies, productive outs. You remember the Mac errors we talked about a couple yeah. weeks ago? So he was doing that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think, I'm gonna try to get his old ass to oil up the machine and let's get back to work. But he's getting kind of old now. The computer makes him nervous a little bit. But we'll, we'll, we'll try to work something out. I, I just think it's fun though because again, when you're watching the game of like a productive out. Because everyone's gonna notice like when you don't bring that run in because everyone's like watching like you have f three runners on base like there, I think there's probably no other way to get worse out it's like you know it's like you get drunk in your house nobody cares nobody sees you. you get drunk at a wedding it's like a bigger deal because everybody sees you it's like you're still drunk but it's like third witness is not my drunkness that's like why I feel like with runner on third it's like damn it I have to come with runner on third like I always want to come up with no runners on if I strike out it's like no big deal you strike out runner on third in less than two outs that one counts a lot more like in the we're talking about it after the game. And, and that's the only at bat, which is funny that anyone's talked about the Colas is because he looked outmatched, even though he he's pretty much like the same in every other at bat, but that's like the one that people are talking about. So that's something that I would really love because I think that better teams get more productive outs. Um, and I think that this is where the players right now, believe it or not, I haven't really seen that growth. And I think this is a year where they're going to, we're going to see growth from certain players where they didn't really do that. Uh, like Pantera and now Colas and even Andrew Vaughn, like these guys, you know, the, these guys have less than five years in the big league. So I, I, that's something that, you know, we hold them accountable as like they were 15 year veterans, but a lot of these guys are less than five years. Yeah. I feel like this is something that we need to get Jay Kuda on. I feel like he could probably wrap something out to uh, show some really emphasis on the I love objective. Jay productive outs um but before i wrap this up i just want to say that we we did see the Sox squander a lot of opportunities in that series and it really could have gone either way um besides the split um you could have won that series you could have lost it um and i'm really content with the split coming out of houston on the road the more impressive thing of the split is that they won a game that they left bases loaded zero outs twice mm-hmm. so if you can win a game like that, imagine what they could do if they could manufacture some runs. The only thing about this, Brian, is that like I might be content with this, but like as the season goes, these are the series early on we could have won to really separate ourselves with the division if expectations go how we want them to go, especially with a, a team like Cleveland. Last year they showed us how baseball's played the right way with a young core that they had. And these are the type of series you need to win, not only to show yourself versus the defending champs, but to separate yourselves from your, your, your 500 clubs and below you need, these are the series you want to win and to, you know, stay up there in the standings 
so early on, yes, I know there's so many games to go, but these are the difference makers down the road, I feel. And uh, again, it's a split, but I really would have loved to see them take that series on the road. Yeah, um, I mean, any any time on the road in Houston, I'll take a split. Like now, this weekend, they go and lose to Pittsburgh, I'll be pissed. Oh, yeah. And that's where they need to play better because they've no, they're notorious for that. Like they'll play really good against really good teams. And they're, they're like one of those teams that plays to the level. So again, I want to see growth. And if that's going to be like the bar of them moving forward, uh, I don't see this team as a team that's like, like Astros, like World Series ready of like, okay, this team needs to like, they're there. This team is like a gradual like growth. And I'm going to be honest, man, I'm, I'm, one thing about Rafal, we talked about, he looked very pissed. He looked very pissy. Like his moods, like he's very positive, like when he when he won. But like those games that he lost, like he said the right stuff, but you could tell that he was that he was annoyed uh, of certain things. Like you could tell his demeanor. So it's like at one point, I I I don't think he's gonna like curse out and like you know say some wild stuff. But I can see him really snapping and really breaking down on some things that if he knows that we can't ex- they can't execute uh, moving forward. So that's gonna be something very interesting. Uh, going ahead in the season. Uh, before we before we leave, I just want to point out that Pittsburgh is in progress of taking a series against the mighty Red Sox. Now, I understand this is a fucking White Sox podcast. Red Sox suck, bro. They're okay. off. You know what? They're very bad. With, yeah, and this my friends is, are uh, manager. This is Southside Daily. Better offense than the White Sox. How about that? <laughs> is Southside Daily, where we're going to preview the upcoming week. Boys, this week, we got six games in three different series. Uh, the first two, we just had the first home opener on Monday, but we have two more um, at home versus the Giants, and that will be Dylan Cease versus Logan Webb uh, tomorrow, followed by Lance Lynn and Alex Wood. Um, and so surprising to see Estrada um, is leading the club right now for the Giants with the 275 average and 563 slugging. Um, but for these two games, it would be nice if Sox can go ahead and win these two and win the series. And that's what I'm kind of expecting um, of these Sox with the matchups we got. Um, but don't get me wrong, that duel tomorrow with Lance or uh, sorry, Dylan Cease and Logan Webb. Webb is a crazy underrated guy over there on the West Coast and a really dominant righty and our socks do have troubles with righties. And uh, I think tomorrow is going to be a battle between the two of them and uh, probably see the bullpen end it here. And we will get down to that, that matchup tomorrow with our butts next segment, but uh, I'm excited for tomorrow's matchup. And then, um, then we go on the road Friday, Saturday and Sunday three-game series in Pittsburgh, and it's going to be Friday matchup of Lucas Giolito versus Rich Hill, the veteran Southpaw and Hill, um, and then Saturday is Mike Clevenger versus oh. our former White Sox, Vince Velasquez, <laughs> and then um, Sunday you have – They better Packers. score 40 runs. If, <laughs> if Pittsburgh wins 40. a fucking game this weekend. 
Who's the third game? The third game is Michael Kopech versus the righty Oviedo for Pittsburgh. Um, and then, yeah, of course, we know what Brian Reynolds can do, but he's off to hot start as well with the 429 average and the 1,048 slugging right now. Um, but, yeah, I'm expecting hopefully two of three at the very least. I, I would really love to see the Sox club take three and sweep them. Um, and then Monday's game is also on the road to begin the series the for, with C's first Mieta. And um, surprisingly, Joey Gallo is leading that club in production with a 250 average, three home runs, seven, rib- seven ribbies. So, boys, what do you guys think about these three opponents coming up this week? I, I like the I like the Logan Webb versus Dylan Cease. That game is going to come down to which starter is going to be able to handle base runners in traffic. Because I don't think Dylan Cease is going to have a, another uh, outing where he doesn't walk anybody. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of traffic on the base path. It's just how quick can you start off against a guy like Logan Webb? Because you don't want you don't want to be in the fifth and sixth inning and he's still in the game because that lets me know that you're running out of fucking time. And you, and you the worst case scenario is they're going from Logan Webb to straight to Camilo Duvall. So you got to get Logan Webb out of there as soon as possible. Get to that middle relief for the Giants bullpen. I'm not worried about Cease. I'm worried about the other nine assholes carrying bats. Yeah, what do you think, bro? Uh, I'm expecting the pitcher's duel uh, for mm-hmm. the first game, at least, or for tomorrow. Um, I'll be there. We'll see what happens. I, th- I think this is going to be the Andrew Benintendi game. This is going to be the game where it's like, good thing we paid this guy some money. I looked. It's not offered yet. Whatever his total basis is to tomorrow, I'm hammering it. Because I think Andrew Penintendi's going to get on base. He's going to score some runs. And it will be a beautiful thing. He had a bad game yesterday, and he was on base twice. So, yeah. yeah Take I Brian's think, advice. I think tomorrow's the day where it's like, all right, this was a good signing. Go ahead, Junior. I know you're about. Well, to no, I think that. So, so I'm looking at. So, this is a uh, God. This is a perfect setup for for White Sox and White Sox fans because this is gonna get really ugly, and this is gonna be a big, a big week to see what kind of White Sox team we got. So, I got Cease and Webb. I got Cease over five strikeouts, easy. Uh, I got the White Sox going deep in the first inning off of Webb. They're gonna tattoo Ben Intendi. And if they don't get him, into the into the light landing, baby. Let's go. If they, don't get him, if they don't get Webb in the first inning, we got a pitcher's duel. I think they get on Webb the first inning. Uh, I like that. I, I still think that if they bring if, if they go down the line and Cease does that, and the White Sox take an early deep again manufacturing run uh, after that first inning, if it doesn't happen, they're going to have to manufacture a run. So I want to see them running. Uh, you know, move a guy over, get a run in because they can win a game two nothing. Uh, you know, one nothing, two nothing with, with the pen helping them out, and and I, I'm a big Ronaldo Lopez guy closing. So, uh, I, I the White Sox take that game for sure. I think that they take the Lynn game. Uh, they they definitely go two and one versus versus San Francisco, and moving themselves into a great path going into the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I'm sorry, I, I don't like to bash any big league players because they're big league players, but man, if you're a hitter. You're looking towards that that 
Pittsburgh series and saying, this is where I make my money. This is where you get this is, this, this, this is where you just say, I'm going to stat pat. You get those home runs and you get those. So you can, you know, th- those weeks that you're going to face those harder pitchings that, you know, you're going to go for over tens. This is where you make up for those. And this is where you, you put those numbers up. So I think that they're going to destroy the pirates. If they, they need to sweep the pirates, meaning the two games are for sure. The third game is the Michael Kopech bounce game. Okay. Because you're facing a weaker offense, okay, a weaker opponent. Your team is going to give runs to you, but I don't want you to win just based on the runs and your ERA and all that. You need a bounce back game. I'm not talking about six inning. I'm talking about solid, you know, innings, less than two earned runs. Kind of like you can see him bounce back and be able to put himself back on track. Uh, and that's going to go in into Minnesota. Again, uh, we, we, you could split and whatnot. That's going to be a hard series. But if the White Sox for any – shape or form destroy this week meaning they come out i can even fathom it of like you know they, they lose the series versus the giants and they go into pittsburgh and they lose the series in pittsburgh or it's just a really bad debacle then they're in trouble because then minnesota puts them in a situation now where you might be five six games out of first place in april and in a really bad situation so this is a great i love the fact that they played and got whooped opening day that they had the off day regroup and kind of just be able to go on this run, a run that you want to make it, you, you want to stack up on the wins and, you know, keep that two and a half game lead closer and no one can run away from you. That's why, because you're running into a weaker opponent. Uh, you got your two big, you got your two big pitchers coming up. Then you got Giolito going against a weaker pitcher to set himself up. And then Kopech, the same thing. So this is a big series in that sense of everybody going again, Ben Attendee getting going, uh, Again, people are like, he's hitting third. Benetton's got to get going, hitting third, fourth, second. He, he needs to be able to produce in that lineup. Uh, not hit 30 home runs, but just be able to be provided. So I, I see them as a positive. Uh, just because if I don't have a really bad – if this week is bad for them, uh, it will be very, very uh, hurtful for them down the line. Because they had a really good week. Good teams, great games. Again, it wasn't perfect. This week, you hope that it's the same or better. It cannot be worse. So I'll take those no. back. I got it again. I, I'm betting every single night um, uh, that I can. I'm looking at stolen bases and I'll share those out as we, we got them uh, with TA. The numbers that you're getting on these stolen bases are just ridiculous. And, and the strikeouts, you got to, every time the Sox take, the one that blew me out of the world, out of, out of this world was uh, Clevenger. Clevenger was back to striking out guys, uh, you know, just going right after him. So I thought that he was going to have less than 5Ks. Not the case. He looked very dominant. Uh, so I'm looking at, you know, high, high strikeout rates versus these teams and then high scoring games. Don't be taking no unders, uh, maybe in the C's game, maybe if that, because uh, again, I can see, the White Sox, I can see the White Sox going off on that Giants bullpen. There's nobody really in that bullpen that I'm like, oh, they just beat up on Houston's bullpen. No problem. So again, they're, 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 they're going to score runs. God, they scored runs and they weren't even manufacturing. So that's, that's my take on that. Uh, I know that for the pick, I, I don't really have a player like I did last week on players that we need to stay away from, which we did, they did a horrible job. It's like, I told them pitch to Jordan Alvarez, let him kick your ass. Uh, I feel like that was like the scouting report. You told them that? No, I'm just saying that I felt like they listened to the show and say, let's do the opposite of what Ozzy Jr. said. I said, don't let Jordan Alvarez hurt you. Like, I was like, why are they, they did exactly that. <laughs> why are they pitching to Jordan? Like, it's like, oh, what's your coaching strategy? Don't pitch to Jordan Alvarez. Like literally, like that's, that's, that would be my strategy yeah. versus the Astros. So hold it, hold it there, hold, Junior. Hold it there real quick because we did say 
you know, pitch around Alvarez, but they went right at him. And with this week coming up, is there anybody in these three lineups that you're going to pitch around? Like, no, and I'm not talking about you gonna... around. Like you can, again, you don't want to, like, not pitch to a guy, but, like, know the situation. Like, if Jordan Alvarez comes yeah. up and this is open, you're getting walked. There's no shame in taking the intentional walk. I'll take my chance with a Brave. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to – I have a little bone to pick. Why were they pitching a Brave like they had never seen him taking it back in a White Sox uniform? I was very disappointed in their approach to Abreu. Their scouting report to Abreu should be the best scouting report. They were pitching to him like they have never seen him hitting, and he had really good at bats. And I think he they got off very easily because they were they threw some meatballs that it yeah. could end up really bad. But they, I was very disappointed on that. Like when you face a former player of yours, you need to dominate him. And I was not happy. So I don't know what the scouting report again on this week when they play Minnesota. Joey Gallo's had a great week, but I'm not. I'm sorry, Joey. I'm not scared of you. Joey Gallo. It's Joey Gallo. Like, the only know, player. Like, there's nobody the the only player in that lineup you got to consider the scenario pitching, you know, within his charts would be probably Buxton. Like, that's a guy you don't you want to get hot. You could strike Buxton out, though. No, I can that. I, expand the zone. He even, is he going to play? Again, there's nobody at that level. I, when I look at – even when I look at the Giants lineup. like Junior, Junior, last year, all right, in April, right, Tony in Minnesota, right, he, you had Buxton coming off of the injury, and he pitched. I think he pitched. I'm trying to remember if he. Uh, I think he decided to go at Buxton because I, I think Arise was in front of him. I'm trying to remember who you. No, Arise was behind Buxton, so yeah. The, uh, so he wanted Liam to strike out Buxton mm-hmm. before getting to Arise, but Liam Buxton took the, him like 480. Yeah. It, it was supposed to be a which high, I kind of understood be because of ball out of the zone and Liam just caught too much of the zone. Like here's the thing, though: Arise is not going. And here's the part: Arise is not going to take you deep, and that's where you have. And that going back to Dylan C's, I think Dylan. But hold up, hold up, hold up. In that situation, Junior, in that situation with runner, runners were in scoring position, so you were just trying to go at the guy who was hot here, and Arise was the hottest. Like I said, Buxton was coming off the DL. And Arise was not only your hottest hitter, but he ended up being your batting champ of the league last year. So I understood going at Buxton versus Arise in that moment. Because all Arise has to do is just get a base hit to take the lead. Like, I and totally again, understand that's, that, that game scenario. Yeah, it's like situational. You can't just say, I'm not going to pitch the guy because he's there. It's situation. You want to face the best hitters when they don't have anybody on. And if you can get them, you can get them. Going back to like what the staff should do, I think Cease was the better one that did it. Lance Lynn is known for knowing for doing this. Lance Lynn loves it. He does not care if there's a runner on first or second when he's pitching. He's a veteran guy in the sense he, it doesn't change for him. There's a lot of younger pitchers that, oh, I'm not a good pitcher because I got a runner on first, and they get all distraught. And, and and they do. They don't. They're like runner on first. Like runner on first means one pitch away from a double play. That's when you're a good pitcher. You think that. And sometimes I think Cease the last game like it didn't really feel like he was attacking certain guys because he was like. If you want to get yourself out, you can. If not, I'll let you go to first and I'll face the next guy, especially when he fell behind on the count, which it's not it's not the wrong strategy. So I think I think in that situation, again, I'm even with when you look at the numbers, even with Pittsburgh, they cannot let if you let the weaker guy in that position like arise, beat you, depending on like who the guy, they need to have a guy that this guy is not gonna beat me. Even guys that come from the bullpen. Like if you're coming from the bullpen 
and you're bummer and you're those like you're not going to face a ninth hitter like they're bringing you for the big boys so you need to have a strategy of like okay so that's what i want to see like consistency uh when it comes to that on, on execution and, and being able to like what's our game plan like you know i i and I, we didn't see it last series but you know, runner on second, no outs, and their best hitters up, and first base is open, and you think you're gonna get, you know, you're gonna try to sneak one by him. Guy hits 480. Like, so I think this series, I don't see a really big team where you try to stay away from a lot of people. But again, you gotta, you gotta give credit to like the young players on the Pirates. You gotta see who's hot. Again, Joy Gallo right now is scorching, but again, still Joy Gallo, and you gotta be smart. Again, they're gonna be doing the same for the Sox. I'm sure they're saying the same thing about uh, Moncada and. You know, he's just hot because it's right now. But those are the things, like, strategy-wise that I that I like to see, which which I think he's done a good job uh, to this point. Yeah, I got some good strategy for you, Ozzy. This is the Weekly Picks. This is our Sox weekly pick to click of the yeah, week. The and is this the Ozzy segment? Yes, this is the Ozzy segment. I won last where, week, uh, right? Ozzy Jr. won week one for us, picking Johan Mankata. Mankata went 429. He had a 429 average, a 455 on base percentage, 905 slugging. And he had two home runs and four ribbies in those five games. Um, yes, Junior, you won our pick to click for a week. And, he, and by the way, he, missed, he basically gave up a double. He was like, I don't even need this double. I'm going to third. That's what he was thinking. <laughs> I got this one for Junior. I, I'm trying to let Jay compete. Everybody else compete. I'm just trying to go to third to see it's a stat padding at that point. Moncada has no problem getting the third base, literally so, and figuratively. So our <laughs> order this week is going to be a junior, myself, Justin, and then Brian will go last. Um, Brian will give a pick for us for our man Slav, who is on the DL right now. So, so, so the rule Brian. is, so Brian, the, the rule is, no one can pick Moncada. So Moncada won. He needs to sit out, which is it's going to be funny. Hopefully, it's not like the last. Hopefully, this is not like Moncada's greatest week <laughs> of the year. Oh, so all of a sudden he hits one eighty yeah. this week. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the, the, the like the, oh he had like oh he had four home runs. Then he hit them all in the first week. Like I would feel so bad. <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna go with a guy. I was I was battling between two guys. I like what I've seen defensively. I love the fact that he actually came out, shut a lot of people up on Twitter. They're saying like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's swinging out of the zone. He's gonna swing out of the zone always and for the rest of his life. No one, can, no one cares that Jose Ramirez swings at the dumbest pitches where they at because he rakes and he does well. And that's his style. Luis Robert Jr. Okay, is going to get hot this week. I, I like what he's been swinging. I like the way that he's approaching and not everyone's gonna hit the first week, but I think that he's gonna have a really, really good week. I think that when he gets hot, I like the last couple of at-bats that he had. So I'm gonna go with, with, uh, with Pantera. All right, and Junior, like this whole sitting uh, Mankata, that's just the week, not the season, right? We got no, 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 no. He after okay. next week, he's even if he has the best week compared to everybody at loss, he's 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 active again. Uh, but I, I'm gonna go Pantera. I just think that he's uh, he's due. Uh, I think they didn't have a good week. 
All right. I'm going to go next here, and uh, I'm going to surprise some people. I'm going to go with the pitcher because he's got two starts what this the... week. You yes. can do that. Yes, you can. He's got two starts this week. Mr. Dylan Cease, my boy, the dirty stash is out. My boy's going to go up against the Giants and the Twins, and uh, I hope he backs his shit up with that stash that he has because he's got the filthiest shit right now. And uh, I hope he leads me to victory with two dominant performances, with two dubs on the board this week. That's what I need to take this pick to click for this week. Um, and I just hope he shoves again for two more starts this week, especially for that, that second start versus the Twins on the road. And Minnesota is 4-0 right now, so I want to see uh, our boy put us put an L in that category for the Twinkies. And, uh, Jay, you're up now. Uh, well, I'm betting on black, like King Max says. I'm picking the best shortstop in fucking Chicago. Now, when we were going through in White Sox Daily, the fact that I have Tim Anderson seeing Rich Hill this weekend that's better than porn. There's no porn that you can give me other than Tim Anderson facing Rich Hill. He's gonna he's gonna have a prolific week. He had a great seat uh, a great series in Houston. The defense was good. The base running was immaculate. I mean his his back control through in situ in situations. I I was liking what I was seeing. So actually, screw the both of you. I'm going with the winner of this week. And Tim Anderson. Very solid, Jay. That was actually who my uh I was going between him and Cease. But he's I just the best, couldn't help myself. The best shortstop in Chicago. Oh, I was just a little you know Are you said? deaf? I said it. I know. I'm just I'm just I'm just putting it on my highlight. I'm just that's a that's a big take. You know the I know you don't watch the cut. You got Swanson over there. It doesn't matter. Dancy's not hitting 20 home runs this year. Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. Go ahead, Brian. Take it. Take us with your our last pick of the segment here. I said tomorrow's the Andrew Benintendi game, but this is the Eloy Jimenez week. At some point, he's going to wow. start hitting absolute moon bombs, and like Jay said, that comes against Rich Hill. Oh man, that's going to be horrible. Oh, that's going to be so bad. Rich Hill is going to be a closed casket. Oh. He- opposite field into the Allegheny. And he never if not, he's putting one off that scoreboard and left in Pittsburgh. Eloy is going off this week at least three home runs. Yeah, he might he, I don't know, that Vince Velasquez matchup too. That, that's, <laughs> you're, pumped. you're like, oh, I'm going to get this guy. That's, that's 500 good. dead center. Yeah, that's uh, th- this is how you hit 40. And I'm yep. just, this, this is how you hit 40. I'm, that's just the reality of it. I mean, this just might be the hardest week to win, season's going to have to be, like, lights out because I think offensively, I think that the White Sox are going to be due for, like, a really big monster week just because when you look at these guys, I'm, and I'm sorry, like, they're just really no – I just don't see them matching up. They looked really good against some really good pitching, which I think fans – Chicago fans only know big names. They probably think, like, Rich Hill is still, like, a big-time pitcher. Um, and Vince obviously pitched in Chicago, so they think he's good automatically. But, like, the Astros have really good pitching. Like, they were facing a couple of those guys that were, like, you know, top 15 in the MLB in general. You know, very good bullpens. And they looked great. So, offensively, I don't think that this – I don't really see if there was a been a problem. So, this week could be scary for all those um, guys. 
Come Sunday evening, the White Sox will be seven and three. I'm calling it right now. We're going on a five game winning streak here. That's fucking beautiful. All right, Junior. So I'm looking. This is where we're end the show here with some. I know you alluded to some bets already, but we're gonna end up with a couple more. Um, tomorrow's matchup. You got the. I said tomorrow's matchup. I got I got money line obviously on the yeah, Sox, yeah. but I'm gonna okay. go. I'm gonna go cease over five. That's an easy one. That's an easy take. I'm gonna take a bet. Like plus seven hundred right now. White Sox go deep in the first inning. I really think that that Webb inning. Webb is like, he's he's not good in the first inning. Like if he gets out of the first inning. He usually locks in and then, you know, he doesn't get out to the six. And again, then the Sox can get to their bullpen. But the Sox in that first inning, again, I, I think that the way that those guys have been swinging the bat, I can really see any of them going deep off of him very easily. So I got that bat in, in that inning. And then I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much the rest of the week, I'm going to take the overs on the runs and I'm going to bet White Sox pitching on all the strikeouts on all of them. This is going to be a game where, you, you kind of extend, you know, Lynn's going to go six. Gio's going to go six. You expect everybody to kind of step up and just a number to self. Like my, one of my favorite bets to do is like the outs, like over 16.5, like not that hard. Do the math three times an inning. Any, all the overs over all those guys going over four innings, like even Kopech, even like, I don't want Clevenger to drop. I don't want Kopech to go up. I want everybody to kind of build. This is, this is a week for building momentum forward. Like Brian, yeah. Seven and three. Like if you if you're going to be competitive, like distinct June to the All Star break, you cannot put yourself in a situation in this week, probably the easiest week in the whole month of April. Um, that you're coming off a really hot start, like pretty good start with a hard team. You need to take advantage of this because you can't. This is where you you know then you're like oh crap I need to go seven and three but I got you know Cleveland, you know Cleveland the Yankees and. Toronto, you're like, damn, like that's a little hard. Like, you got to take advantage of these like weaker teams. Somebody's has to. Why not the Sox? Well, yeah, I, I, and you got to think about it too. Like this Pittsburgh series this weekend is a great way to fix two problems that we have. Their lineup isn't good enough to where you're gonna have trouble with inherited runners with your bullpen, and they don't have the pitching to really contain you with runners in scoring position. So you can hit a couple of free throws this weekend yeah. without putting somebody's shit on the batter's eye. It's, it's a confidence builder for sure. We need it. Momentum is momentum, guys. People think that, oh, you feel special when you beat the Yankees. You beat the Tigers. You feel, Momentum is momentum. Hell yeah. Winning streak in the Major League Baseball, those guys are going to feel it. The swag's going to feel it. And I think that right now they need to – again, they need to, they need to know that they're in this fight. Again, Pedro Grifol is uh, – Figuring it out. So, like, when you go on a nice little run like that, you get a little bit more pep in your step. You get a little bit more confident. I really believe in that. I really believe that. And just as staff in general, because you're like, oh, man, the stuff that we're doing is clicking. You're not second guess. You're not doing dumb stuff. Like, I just saw probably the, so, Soto just went deep in Charlotte, in, in shoebox field. And they're like, Soto, call him up now. It's like, yes, he is the future, but you signed out. Like, so, like, I don't want people to just – I don't want to have a bad weekend. Just people just trading everybody right away and just panicking. We don't need that second week in April. And again, I want to highlight last week, not only the junior win, junior win our pick to click for the week one, but he nailed all of the bets that we put on the show last week, at least the ones for the, yeah. the daily games, not the season bets. But I'm the, tired the, of him the winning the games. And yeah, I, by the so, way, I didn't tell you my Cleveland bets either, uh, Jay. I hit, also hit those. 
So again, everyone follow Ian's world for your bets every week, and we'll try to put some bets on it's our show. Today. Detroit, don't ever bet. If I ever take a bet against the Tigers, do the opposite and bet the Tigers. It's the only team that I cannot bet against. Houston has now lost two games. Houston, they're losing games against the Tigers. That was supposed to be a lock today, and I just got. So if I tweet from any of the accounts betting against the Tigers, do the opposite. Go the other way. I can't beat the Tigers. They're my Cleveland. I need to overcome that monster. But again, be smart. Again, look at this. Look at the analytics. Look at the situations. Um, and even like if in any of these games, because I'm going to be tweeting live, if the Sox for any reason fall back, even four or five runs, not a huge lead for any of these teams to hold them back. I still think the White Sox offense, um, like we saw in the 12-3 game, you know, they, they, they were struggling 7-0 and then they came back for a bit. So this team has the, the power to come back in games. Again, we'll catch some good odds on that. But even in game four versus Houston, like, you know, Sox, once they had a lead, you know, Houston would start to bounce back and then the Sox would just add a couple more to tack on to their lead. So it's not even just coming from behind, but keeping that lead. That's what good teams do. And that's what you need yeah. to be able to believe that you, that you play in that field. Like you have to believe like one thing is us telling them you're great. You're great. You're great. You're gonna, and then one other thing is them actually going in and believing in themselves uh, again. Uh, and a lot of guys are doing that. Colas, dude, the guys in the big leagues, like he's, this is his dream. Like he's finally there. He's, he wants to feel like he belongs. Got Andrew Vaughn. Like you don't think Andrew Vaughn's thinking like, they just got rid of the one of the greatest players in White Sox history to make me the first baseman. Like he wants, he's he's pumped. Like he knows that he's like they believe him and he wants to produce. There's all these stories of, you know, you don't think TA knows that P fans have been saying move him to second and move Elvis. Those guys all think that. And if you have a chip on your shoulder, uh, the only guy that if he doesn't start hitting well, I'm gonna have to get him on the fat boy diet again is Eloy. I don't like skinny Eloy unless he's hitting. If skinny Eloy can't hit, like fat Eloy hit, I don't want him. Yeah. Right. No, that's that's for that. No, that's serious because like, I like fat Luther Vandross. I don't like skinny Luther Vandross. I'm just saying, like, Eloy's going to be in the outfield because he was fat and going to get hurt. The only time he got hurt was because he made a stupid play. He could have been a five four midget in perfect shape, and if he would have climbed the fence like the way he did, he would have gotten hurt. It was just a dumb play. It's like drinking and driving. You know what you did wrong. You're an idiot. You usually wouldn't do it. 99.9% 99.9% of the time, you did it that one time, you deserve to get in trouble. Yeah, correct. You know, Tony, like, for example, Tony's nap. Bro, bad mistake to do it there. Everyone's tired. They took a nap. You got to pay the price for it. That's how that – so Eloy in the outfield was not because – he did not get hurt because he was fat. So they they made my boy go get skinny. He looks small. He looks great. He looks awesome. He looks like a model. But if he does not start producing – I will freaking ping him and say, you need to get back on fat boy diet. F these people, fat boys can play 135, 140 games too. We need fat Eloy back to smash. That's it. Grundahl, I like skinny Grundahl. Fat Grundahl couldn't hit. Skinny Grundahl is badass. All right. And now as we close out our own show here, um, Brian, um, give give the chat and everyone listening here on the podcast after a uh, – you know, a chance of where your following is. And, uh, you know, I'll give you some shout outs too. shout out any, anything you want to, um, but go ahead and give us your own promotion here. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Brian nights three. 
you're getting a post game every single game. Hopefully a majority of them are QTM FEBs. Uh, some electric stuff, a lot of Miller lights, a lot of White Sox stuff, uh, some gambling stuff. It's a lot of fun. Uh, got some big things coming, so let's ride. And start drinking. Uh, he's gonna start drinking Natty Ice. So switch. That's the secret. That'd be that'd be aggressive. That would be aggressive. <laughs> that'd be uh, as an we'll adult. Thing, hey, man, like... If my bets keep losing, I might. I might that's have what I'm to. It's like when you switch to Natty Ice. If you switch to Natty Ice after the age of thirty, something bad happens. Yeah. You if I start drinking Keystone next week, you know yeah, that you're like, like it's like college. It's like when you're under 18, it's like when you're like a kid, everything tastes great. The older you get, you get picky. like, ah, oh, they don't have this in this foreign country. How do you not have my favorite drink? No, I, I love it. Um, that's awesome. I'm going to say where I'm at, Ogie and Junior, uh, if you're interested in buying bats for some reason, um, men's baseball out there, Morningwood. Yes, that's the name of the company, Morningwood. It's a great name. It's a great name. Great name. More, use the Gian code the Gian grid for 25% off. So why don't you have, you want to get, you you think you're a legit baseball player when you go to the cage, get your wood with your customized name on it, your nickname name on it, your girlfriend's name on it. And they do all ages. So, which is awesome. Like there's like nine-year-olds that have wood batting out with their name on it. It's like the, the world has changed so much. You had to be like a 10 time all-star in 1989, and have your name on your bat. Now it's you're like, a business model. it's a great business model. You're a nine-year-old and like, you're like, Hey, I'm Joe Schmo. Get your own color. Again, I love it because you're going to see these kids like rocking bats. Uh, soon we might see the whole White Sox rocking out those green cleats that Moncada has been wearing. Horrendous looking, yet very effective. Yeah. And right after you order your Morden Wood using the Gian Grid uh, promotional code, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. My favorite personally to listen to these assholes is Spotify. I am Jay Targaryen signing off for Chris Gonzalez, Ozzy Gian Jr., and the Prince of Pershing himself, Brian Knight. This was the Blackout Show. <laughs>